When it comes to maximizing time in the uplands, without fail, Onyx Hunt is my most valuable tool. From planning my next hunt through a new bird cover to navigating in the field, Onyx Hunt is truly with me wherever I go. With detailed mapping and satellite imagery, along with a multitude of map layers from land access to forestry and habitat information and easy-to-use tools to mark, measure, and catalog important information, Onyx Hunt seamlessly integrates digital scouting with boots-on-the-ground time in the field. With offline mapping and Apple CarPlay integration, you are free to explore the wild landscapes our beloved upland birds inhabit. Planning your next move in the uplands begins with knowing where you stand, and for me, that starts and stops with Onyx Hunt. Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your Onyx Hunt subscription. When the miles rack up faster than your flush count, that's when you'll truly appreciate your hunting vest from Final Rise. Built for the uplands and proudly sewn in the USA, the complete lineup of hunting vests from Final Rise, from their all-new Summit XT down to the minimalist Sidekick system, are all built upon the foundational load-bearing waist belt and low-profile shoulder strap system, which allow you to carry all the gear you need and do so comfortably while maintaining your ability to move freely and perform when you need to most. With a complete lineup of accessories and newly released performance field apparel, Final Rise has the gear you need to help you get the most out of every mile and every flush. Final Rise gear is built for the uplands. Get yours today at FinalRise.com. Welcome to the Project Upland Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting. We plan to take you into some of our favorite bird covers as we talk to the people that hunt them and the organizations that support them. We'll also break down the dogs, guns, and gear used to pursue them, and of course, we'll share the stories that celebrate this American tradition. It's one of those things that you do that, that feels timeless. My dad brought home our first Brittany when I was about 10 years old. The Red Gods are calling, and I must go. These are your stories. into the Project Upland Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Larson. Welcome back to the show for episode number 59. The Project Upland Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp, the premier rough grouse and woodcock hunting experience located in northern Minnesota. Woodcock banding clinic, upland bird training camp, it's all coming up along with the fall hunting season. Can't go wrong anytime you're at Pine Ridge Grouse Camp. Find out more about them and how to make your next trip there at pineridgegrousecamp.com. And by Dog Trek Callers. Dog Trek providing you a full lineup of dog training, dog handling accessories. This month we're continuing to talk about the Pathfinder, the GPS tracking and training caller from Dogtra that utilizes the power of your smartphone. You don't need to blow your budget buying a handheld unit and a gps collar when you already have a smartphone in your pocket if that sounds like your situation the dogtra pathfinder might be for you find out more about it at dogtra.com and by yukonuba premium performance dog food with the yukonuba 3d denta defense system proven to reduce tartar buildup in 28 days i don't know about you but i always hate looking at my dog's teeth and seeing tartar on them so if the food that i feed him can actually help with his teeth I'm all about it. Find out more about that and everything else you get with Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food 
at yukanuba.com. And by Gordy and Sons Outfitters, good old-fashioned family values. Gordy and Sons Outfitters is a locally owned and family operated business located in Houston, Texas. From hunting to fishing to conservation, the people at Gordy and Sons are passionate about all of them. From expert guides to the best gear, they have what you need for wherever you're going. Find out more about Gordy and Sons Outfitters and what they can offer you at GordyAndSons.com. And finally, by Dakota 283 Kennels. Built tough, built to last. Dakota 283 Kennels. One piece rotomold design, steel frame door. Great kennel at a great price. Check out Dakota 283 Kennels. And if you go to their website, Dakota283.com, and you decide to buy a kennel, make sure you use the promo code PU50DD. That'll get you 50% off one of their Dine and Dash products. That's promo code PU50DD, 50% off a Dine and Dash product. And don't forget, always free shipping from Dakota283.com. All right, this week's winner of the podcast giveaway is Joey Dean. Joey shared an episode of the podcast recently, and for that, we thank him. You could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway. All you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. We love the reviews on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Subscribe to the podcast. Hit that little subscribe button. Make sure you find out about all of the most recent episodes. Share the podcast post just like Joey did, and or send us some feedback or a guest suggestion. Love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at nick.larson at northwoodscollective.com. All right, Project Upland Magazine, available for sale via the website, projectupland.com, available in some Barnes & Noble. Check it out there. Get your hands on it. New issue coming up. Summer issue on the way soon. And as a reminder, that segues nicely into our episode today. Project Upland is the official media partner for the April Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign. We are happy to support Pheasants Forever, the Habitat organization, in their efforts to improve upland bird habitat, wildlife habitat, hunter opportunity, and all of the great things that they do, which you will hear a lot more about on our episode today, which leads me to today's episode. We will be joined by Jared Wickland, Rachel Hovland, and Anthony Hauk on a podcast that I recorded from the headquarters of Pheasants and Quail Forever, located in the Twin Cities area. I was there last Friday, had a great time hanging out with Jared, an old buddy of mine, some of his colleagues at Pheasants Forever, met a bunch of the crew. Always good to see the good folks at Pheasants Forever. It's a fantastic organization. I support them personally, and of course we do as Project Upland, which is why we are happy to have them on the podcast to talk about the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign. And that's what we're going to be doing for the next Oh, 70 to 80 minutes or so. Let's jump right into it and welcome to the Project Upland podcast, Jared, Rachel, and Anthony from Pheasants Forever. All right, what's up, everybody? Nick Larson with the Project Upland podcast coming to you on location at the headquarters the mothership, if you will, of pheasant and quail forever here in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota. Really excited to be here today. We've got a fun conversation that's going to be centered on bird dogs and habitat, as you could expect, with guests from Pheasants Forever. Really excited to be joined by a few guests from Pheasants Forever. So with that in mind, we're going to do a little bit of a roundtable intro. We'll start to my left a guy that has been on the podcast before, 
Uh, if we have any loyal listeners that were listening way back in 2017 to some of those <laughs> early iterations, they may remember Jared. But for those uh, that don't remember or are new to the podcast, why don't we start with you, Jared? Name, position here at Pheasants Forever, and because we're talking about bird dogs today, how about breed of bird dog or dogs that you currently own? You bet. Well, first of all, welcome to the world headquarters. Universal headquarters. Universal headquarters, Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever. We That helps get the warehouse district out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, no, welcome uh, welcome to headquarters. Um, again, my name is Jared Wickley. I'm the public relations manager here for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And uh, cover a number of different things at the office here. Um, I do a lot of our press releases, um, do a lot of our interviews, radio, TV, uh, do a lot of the advertising, uh, media for Pheasant Fest, those types of things, and a lot of other cool projects like uh, uh, ales and long tails events to um, just a, a lot of different things. Clays for conservation uh, is a big deal we got coming up here uh, later this spring, our shotgun showcase. Um, just do a lot of different things around the office um, and try to help people as best I can and, and uh, raise awareness and, and money for our mission at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. And But today we're here to talk about bird dogs. So I am the lucky owner. Uh, I've got an eight-year-old English pointer named Jackson right now. He's a good boy. He just flushed some hens the other day at my house, so it was good to see that some of those birds Flu- made it. Flushed them or pointed them? Yeah. Sorry, pointed them, and I flushed them. Oh. I guess the little, the little, uh, the new Luna, my Labrador Retriever, ran in there and uh, tried busting them up. So that was a the tornado. The tornado. That was a that was a good start. I haven't done much training with her yet. But black lab, black lab, black lab. Yep. So happy <clears throat> owner of a uh, English pointer and a black Labrador, and. Uh, yeah, just happy to be talking bird dogs today with Project Upland. Excellent. Cool. Uh, my name is Rachel Hovland. I'm the front end web developer here at Pheasants Forever. So I guess maybe the computer nerd around the office. Um, my coworker, Jason, and I run, run the website. I do some GIS, web mapping, um, other projects like that, application development, standard web maintenance. So the really exciting technology stuff. Nice. I also take the unofficial role of shotgun enthusiast in the office. Oh, yeah. So... Um, yeah, really interested in that. And I guess as far as bird dogs, I've got a two-year-old Drothar named Luke, who's um, my first bird dog. So he's been a lot of fun. A.K.A. Lukey Bear. <laughs> Lukey Bear. Lukey Bear. That's, what I, that's what I call him when he comes <laughs> strolling into the office. He's a, a big dog. I think he's like 80 pounds right now or wow. so. So I think besides the Newfie, he's the biggest one in the office. That's a healthy animal. Yeah, he's... He's a cattail buster, that's for sure. GIS mapping and shotguns, you're speaking our language. That's yeah, all the fun stuff, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah, man. yeah. I, I'm Anthony Hulk, Director of Public Relations here at Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. Uh, I, I have the fortune of working with Jared and Rachel as their uh, supervisor, but like as you heard, Rachel is a lot smarter than me, so when she's talking, I just kind of nod my head and... <laughs> Yep. You know, a lot just, of us yep. in this room yep. doing that. Yep. yep. Sounds good, Rachel, whatever you say. Uh, so <laughs> no, I, uh, I do, I kind of cross a broad spectrum of, uh, public relations, media relations, social media, our website, web development, spokesperson, content, online content, magazine content. I've been here, I'm in my 13th year and, and when, you know, the, the working world these days, they never ask you to do less. So I just, I keep stacking up duties. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> um, but 
you know, the, the listeners out there will be happy to know that, uh, you know, we, we work on big projects, farm bill, government affairs, right? Impact 50 million acres. But if you didn't get your premium knife in the mail, I might be back there sh- helping ship that out too. So uh, there's no task too big or too small for the people here at Pheasants Forever. And, uh, and that's kind of the mentality we have. Um, I am also a bird dog owner. Uh, unlike, you know, Rachel's probably the, the large breed end of the spectrum here with her draught. Uh, I have field bred English Cocker Spaniels. I have two of them. Uh, an eight year, you know, the, the, the older one will be in her eighth season this year. And then a three-year-old, um, they're about 22 pounds a piece. So, you know, they're, they're probably even a little small for English cockers. Uh, and um, I'm in the market for a third, you know. Same breed? Uh, same breed. You All know, right. J- I was thinking about that because Jared, it, it, makes me, it makes me wonder, like, he's got a pointer and a flusher. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to think a lot of us in, in life, we find what we like and then and then we like what we like and we stick with that. You grow into your habits. Yes. Right. Like you lab people become a lab person. Maybe they're born that way or become that way. Nature, nurture, whatever. And then they die a lab person. And, uh, I could be on that track. I, I actually grew up with short hair, so don't get me wrong. I'm not like anti pointing dog, but I really like cockers. I just, uh, they're a joy to hunt with. Um, I like their small size, you know, there's the food bills quite a bit less. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. I'm guessing. Ray, you know, Rachel's probably. What do you? What do you feed? What do you, just out of curiosity? Since we're, what do you feed? Purina Pro Plan. Well, I, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but Purina. What's your What's your amount? Um, I probably get two thirty-five pound bags a month. Wow, was there? <laughs> wow, that's I've a lot of food. dogs, and I don't think I go. So, that. so my my older one, you know, that I mean, dogs eat less as they. My older yeah. one. Sprig, you know, and she's 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 been in the upland world for a while, so some some people might know of her or seen her, but she eats a half a cup of food a day, a half cup. That's e- that's a little easier on my wallet. You that's know? very easy on the wallet. It's a little less on cleanup yeah. too. You know, yep. cleanup duty is a little less, and less they're pretty por- they're pretty portable. But we can all sing the praises of our own breed, and that's uh, yeah. you know that's those are those are some of the reasons why I like spaniels and the, and. Uh, you know, w- one thing we didn't mention is we do have a dog-friendly office here. So mm-hmm. you've seen um, that today, I think. Yep. Yeah. the The dogs are coming in every day, and uh, and they all, for the most part, get along too. So that's nice. Anthony's pair of spaniels. I call them the vacuum cleaners of the prairie. <laughs> of and the prairie. I've I hunted a lot with them this past year when we did uh, media type things together and some o- our own hunting activities and watching those dogs track a wounded rooster. Uh, or, you know, chase down grouse. It's his old, his older one. It's, they're both very good, but his older one, Spriggy, boy, does that dog have a nose on it. So they're, they're, it's, it's, it's fun interacting with other breeds that you haven't spent a lot of time with. Oh yeah. And, uh, you know, as much as I like the English pointer in the labs, um, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm growing, it's growing on me, the, uh, the English Cocker Spaniel. Yeah. I think like that. Someone in our office even said if he had... (laughs) This ridiculous situation. If he had a gun to his head and they said, you need to pick a dog and shoot a rooster or die, he was going to take Spriggy, he said. So that's quite the compliment. Well, we'll just travel back in time. Just like, <laughs> se- like you know, uh, seven or eight years ago, I, I, di- I didn't know that we'd be at that point, you know, because I was sure. just like that that uh, first-time dog owner. You don't know what you're doing. I remember my first year, she... 
we were on a rooster road trip event and uh, she'd had a little success, but, you know, still wasn't like, you know, polished and she blew out, you know, blew out a field and ran about 400 yards up ahead. And I just saw birds going out left and right. And I thought, oh man, I'm, I'm the worst dog trainer in the world. And you know what, you get through that. And, and then you get to that point where, um, you know, it's, it's, it's more a reflection on the dog, but it is yep. fun to have put in all that work and get to a point, as you know, I don't have to tell you that where you, 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 you battle through some of that adversity oh, yeah. and, uh, and you take your lumps and then by the time they're in that five, six, seven, you know, that window where they're in their prime, it sure, it sure is fun. And I hope we still are in that, that prime time again this fall. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of those things, you know, it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, is a lab guy, always a lab guy is a setter guy, always a setter guy. I have those thoughts as well. You know, I've, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time hunting over my English setter. Now he's, he's going to be five in June. He's my first bird dog. I mean, beyond that, I've had the chance to hunt over, a good amount of dogs, but not a lot, you know, by any standards, there's, there's people that have been doing this a lot longer than I, I would imagine any of us in this room have. Um, but it's really interesting. And, and I think it is cool to see the different breeds. And I will say that I've heard enough about these darn little English cockers that they are, if I'm choosing a breed that I want to hunt over to see, just to see, just to hunt with English cockers top in that list, because I've, I've heard enough about them. I've heard enough people talk about them. I really want to hunt with them. So Maybe we'll have to work that out. Sprig, if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> <laughs> to play it back for at the house. We, we can do that. We can do Well, I'm with you on that because I think th- this is just, this is just a general thought. I have no, like, I have no, I have no data or evidence to back it up. This is just an, I love that kind but of stuff. I, yeah. I, that's why podcasts exist. You yes. know, Rachel, you can keep the data out of this. You said, oh, right. gee, oh, I just, <laughs> so not a data analyst anymore. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was her prior job. But that, I think the thing is, even though you like your breed, you're always wondering about what if, what, you know, oh, cause yeah. I duck hunt a lot too. I'm actually going out snow goose hunting this weekend and it's like, Boy, I'd love a golden retriever or a lab. I mean, we always kind of want what we oh, yeah. don't have a yep. little bit. And, you know, that's, I guess that's what makes you a, a dog enthusiast. If you do, if you do kind of have your, your eye on. So, I mean, I borrow or take my sister's English setter on loan, uh, for, you know, about three, four weeks. Every I saw fall that too, dog on know? Rooster Road Trip last yes, year. Last yes. year. And, yeah. and, and, uh, and that's a good dog. And, you know, it's like, you just like you said, I, I I'd love to see cockers run and hunt and, and they're little, you know, there's a reason they call them pocket rockets. Mm-hmm. You know, they might give you blurry vision. It's really fun to watch. Then again, right. You've heard, tell me if you've heard this old saw before, like there's nothing like a dog on point. Right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, I grew up with short hairs, so those were my first like formative bird dog experiences. So when a dog, you know, locks up on point, um, like I did a little end of this end of the preserve season. Right. I mean, sure. you know, I, I wild bird hunt and that's my passion, but you know, the, the preserve season ends probably in most States. I'm thinking like end of March, it does here in Minnesota. That, yeah. So I went out with a couple buddies for the last weekend there. And one of them had a Brittany and, and just having that dog go up on point. I mean, we're, we're at a preserve, which, you know, by its nature just doesn't like give me that same adrenaline. Yeah. Right. Yep. You're kind of going there for the dogs and to do yep. something and March is the worst month in, in the, you know, the Gregorian calendar. I hate it. <laughs> it is. It's just, there's not, like everybody, everybody's hating it this year. May, yeah. Maybe February. We could, you know, yeah. we can argue about that, <laughs> but that, that Brittany locks up and all of a sudden it's like my heart 
is stumping a little bigger. <laughs> yep, so yep. that's cool. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I mean, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I mean, the, the layers and the different flavors to upland hunting, whether it's birds or dogs or geographic locations, there's so much to it. And I just think that that really lends itself to the conversations like this. And I think it's what draws in so many people from so many different backgrounds. They all have different interests. I mean, it's really kind of a cool melting pot. This, this whole blanketed umbrella of upland hunting. It's awesome. Drives the passion. hundred percent. So we thought about before we dive in deep, even deeper into bird dogs, uh, maybe we'll do a little from the desk of, cause that's what I was, was I have written down on my, my sheet here. So Jared, you kind of touched on some of the things that you, that you work on generally, anything, uh, anything big that you're working on, think 2019 pheasants forever initiatives that you guys have going on other than the one that we're going to dive into anything high level. Um, you know, other, other initiatives coming up, uh, we, we don't have a lot on the calendar right now. We do have a clays for conservation event, which mm-hmm. is going to be May 17th at the horse and hunt club. Um, and we just started publishing that that's open, um, to a hundred people, four person teams. Uh, so 25 teams total. Um, you come on out, it's $125 per person. You get a chance to win some firearms. Um, but you get to shoot, uh, it's, it's a fun deal. You get, you can shoot uh, your own gun. You can shoot some of the best manufactured guns, uh, in the world, uh, from best manufacturers out there. Uh, and, uh, just a time to come out and help us raise, raise money for the birds and, and just meet with my like-minded people. A lot of chapter leaders are going to be there. Um, and I don't, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to steal Rachel's thunder because she's next to me. But I'd like her to speak a little bit about, and I've been working on it too. But uh, we just started the process of gathering um, pictures for every single acquisition that we've ever done. Awesome. Um, and we are working on a new web app, web application uh, for land acquisitions that. I think is going to be pretty cool. So maybe Rachel, maybe you want to expand that a little bit. Yeah, I can chime in a bit. Um, my background, like I mentioned before, it's GIS. I've got my master's in GIS. Um, we've had a lot of co- uh, like really cool data. We've done a lot of work with um, purchasing public lands, like in Min- Minnesota especially, but all over the country really. And you know, PF, we've been around since um, the '80s, and we have all this data, and we haven't really had a platform to put that data out to the public or display it. And we kind of came to the conclusion that like an interactive web map would be the best way um, to push forward with that. And so we've got a lot of excitement going on in the office. We're kind of crowdsourcing um, images for all these projects so we can make it a little bit more interactive. But um, that will be coming out, I don't know, maybe in about eight weeks or so, somewhere in that ballpark. But awesome. we're, we're really excited to just, you know, really tell the story of how much PF has contributed to public land and just let folks see that and explore it a little bit more. That's awesome. I'm, I'm, I know that I'm looking forward to that personally. I have no formal education and training in GIS, but I have become a mapping nerd. And I think a lot of upland hunters are, but with all of the new apps technology, whether it's Onyx hunt or just Google earth, I mean, Mm -hmm. I love looking at that stuff and I think it's a great way to display something like that habitat projects. Like I'm really excited to see that kind of visually on a map. Well, I think humans were really visual people too. When oh, yeah. it comes down to it, like we just learn better when we can see something. So, I mean, we can say we have our annual reports and like we've done this much acreage and this many projects, but I feel like they don't really hit home until you can look at a map and you know, whoa, they're all over the state and they're here and they're here and they're here. Yep. So I think just having that visual is going to really help send that home. And our, our hope for that map too, is that it evolves itself into not just acquisitions, but enhancements. Um, you know, a lot of people say, you know, there's, 
generalization out there like, hey, we don't need more public land right now because the public land we don't we, we have isn't being managed. It is being managed. Yeah. There's a lot of it to manage out there, you know, whether it's the forested regions through, you know, going in and um, taking taking some of that wood out of there. Uh, otherwise, um, you know, on waterfall production areas and wildlife management areas, uh, herbicide treatments, uh, prescribed burning, which is a big thing for us mm-hmm. now, uh, interceding pollinator plantings, those types of things. Pheasants forever um, on an annual basis right now. Uh, as far as enhancements goes, is helping to enhance public lands to the tune of 8,000 acres a year. Um, that's a lot of property, yeah. and it adds up extremely quick. So not in addition to the land acquisition map, we'd like to eventually add enhancements on there because as we start creeping up on hunting season, uh, on upland bird season specifically, I can't tell you how many emails I get where people are saying, hey, you guys have done these land acquisitions. Where are they? And I, you know, I've provided uh, an Excel file for them that lists lists what they're called. Um, you know, what county they're in, how many acres they are, that type of thing. But um, being able to provide that in the areas that we've enhanced, that we know, like, hey, this this area is a bird producing factory, and we know that because Pheasants Forever has gone in and, in conjunction with our partners, made that every acre the very best it can be for producing wildlife and specifically upland birds, which helps just about everything else out there. But um, I think that's kind of the end goal is to really have an interactive map so people can come on and say, oh man, when I, you know, this, I donated to this project and look, this project is on the map. Now I can go out there. I can, I can see it. I can bring my bird dog out there and let them roam around. And, and uh, I just think it's going to be a a great thing all around uh, once we get that up and running and we're really excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really valuable, it will be a really valuable tool and resource for Pheasants Forever members and Mm -hmm. anybody that wants to see it really. But like you touched on there, I just think it's, it's super important for people to you know, if they're a Pheasants Forever member, they get the magazine, they go to the banquet, they do all that stuff. At the end of the day, if they can go somewhere and put their boots on a piece of property that if there's a Pheasants Forever sign there, I just think it 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 helps to develop that connection and it makes it so much stronger. And, you know, if I, if I have the chance to hunt two pieces of property, all else equal, and one of them's got the PF sign, I'm probably going to go to the PF one just because I love that connection to the organization and, and yep. knowing that, you know, me as a member, I help to support that habitat. And you know, whether it's whether it's pheasants or sharp tails or Hungarian partridge, whatever it might be, um, you know, we're starting in Minnesota because we have the best data here. Sure. And through the uh, Clean Water Land Legacy Amendment, we've done a lot of acquisitions here, and we just have the best data. But you, know, you go over to Wisconsin, and you go down to Iowa, um, out to Kansas. We just did a thousand thousand acre. Um, we just purchased a thousand acres of wildlife management area out there. That's got a ton, ton of, ton of birds on it, ton of wildlife. Uh, you go out to Montana, uh, or Wolf Creek and Coffee Creek property. I mean, there's just, there's a lot of places for people to go and see that it's been impacted by pheasants forever and quail forever. And, and we want to provide that to people to, to go out and experience. Yeah. Anthony, they got it. They covered it. Covered everything. <laughs> uh, you know, the way I look at <clears throat> This next next year, um, the organization has changed a lot since I've been here, and it's it's all positive. Like when I started, there were maybe 65, 70 people that worked here total. We now have, you know, we're nearing four hundred, and that's incredible. And that's good because 
the, this organization has it, these people working with our chapters and our volunteers, um, and then our partners have been able to leverage a lot of new programs. And, and, and so there's a whole lot of new initiatives, um, that have happened even in the last like five years. And the way I look at my job is, uh, you know, we often say like to tell the story and, th- and that's kind of what, what I'm trying to do working with the, you know, the team I have here of, um, promoting our mission and then our results to, you know, keep people excited about being part of the organization yep. as a habitat supporter, as a hunter, um, and to recruit new people to it. Yep. Um, and so, you know, that's a wide spectrum of things that, that we're ultimately talking about. I mean, we just talked about like public lands and access. Yep. That's become, I mean, we were talking about that 10 years ago, but that's become kind of the topic du jour yes. in the, you know, conservation world in Absolutely. general. And, yeah. and, um, and to make it not just like a Western issue, public lands is a nation wide issue. I mean, here in the Midwest, like it's, it's news here in like Minnesota, like my, my home County is Lackaparle County. Just saw um, that recently. And, uh, the County commissioners voted down two land acquisitions of, you know, totaling a combined 240 acres of pretty marginal, low grade farm ground, mostly wetland type properties. And there's really not any good reason to have done that. But, you know, these, these are the type of public land issues in the Midwest yep. where land is predominantly in private ownership and public land is at a premium that we're going to have to deal with, right? So these land acquisition efforts that we do do, and when they're approved and you can go on them, they're super important telling that story. Um, but private lands are important. You know, a farm bill, CRP, you know, uh, we'd all we'd probably all love in our heart of hearts if CRP was just open to hunting, but a lot of it en- does end up becoming open to hunting through walk-in programs. Mm-hmm. You know, once you have habitat, those, ac- you know, access programs can be leveraged on. Um, we still have, uh, 600-ish amazing Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever chapters that are doing work. And, um, we're trying to report the work they do and still start new chapters. You know, one, one kind of constant common refrain I hear is like, Pheasants Forever needs to do more in Utah. You know who's Pheasants Forever in Utah? Like you listening, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. that, that's it. I mean, I... Pheasants Forever is a ground-up organization, or yep. you know, Pheasants Forever needs to do more in in uh, in this part of Nebraska. It's like you're you're Pheasants Forever. We're a volunteer-based organization, yep. and we do have you know there are programs and there are professionals here, but that's that's where it starts. Is like if you can get a few of your buddies, landowners, to join, like your pheasants forever. It's not some amorphous, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. Ma- magical wizard that's going to just come in and like you know, wave its hand like Charlie Brown at the Christmas tree and, and, and all of a sudden there's a whole <laughs> yeah. bunch of habitat, yep. you know, it takes people. Yep. So, you know, we're trying to communicate that. Um, pollinators and monarchs uh, is is something we talk a lot about more the past few years, just diversity of habitat and opening up new partnerships. So um, we're heavily involved in, in, in just talking about that so yeah. people know that it matters. Um, Pheasants Forever is involved in the Sage Grouse initi- Initiative and Lesser Prairie Chicken Initiative, and I'm I'm guessing nine out of your ten listeners wouldn't know that, so we have some work they to may do not, there. Yeah. And so there's all these things happening, and uh, and that's the type of stuff we're trying to communicate to um, 
you know, to let people know what we're doing. And then obviously, I mean, I'd be lying to you if I, if I didn't say I had some serious concerns about like we all do, like what's hunting going to look like in 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. what's habitat going to look like. I mean, there's fewer and fewer of us and all of us sitting in this room, I'm, I, I'm probably the, the old guy getting a little gray. I'm 30, I'm almost 37. There's 30 somethings, but I go hunting and I see a lot more people that are like my dad than like you guys, yep. Yep. <laughs> you know? Yep. And that's a little concerning. I mean, you know, it, uh, every once in a while you wake up in the middle of the night and like, uh, how are we, how are we going to fix this problem? Well, yep. Pheasants Forever is working on that too. Like a lot of other organizations are with, you know, our three efforts to not introduce just kids, but, um, uh, you know, reactivate people who've dropped out. Right. Um, and, and recruit maybe new adults. Yep. I actually tend to think this is just a little sidebar too, but, um, you know, I think, I think there's just as many hardcore hunters as there was or were 10 years ago. Well, they're not going anywhere. Yet. No, but I think we have lost a lot of very casual, the fringes, I think, yeah. you know, when, when you lose, when you lose habitat and places to hunt, it's the casual people that drop out. Like, you know, yep. you hunted what? 40, 50 days last year. Jared Close. did. Yep. I did. Yep. You know, that won't change. You're going to go, whether the pheasant population is up 30% or down 30% or whether, whether, whether the drumming count is, is up or down, you're going because you just do. But other people, they basically, you know, they're, they're not quite as avid and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But, right. you know, you might, they might only be going two to eight days a year. And, you know, those, those license dollars or their support or their willingness to go bank uh, to a banquet and, and, or give money, it has ramifications across the board and what we're able to do. And so, yeah. um, you know, that's, uh, that, that's a concern too, is just getting people into this. So, yep. I mean, society has changed oh, yeah. in the last half century. There's no doubt about that. Um, we probably, you know, we, we, we might not get back all the hunters, but we should, we should have some more than we do. Yeah. And so that's, that's part of the gig too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those are, those are really great points. I mean, we could dive off on any one of those and it's just, you know, like you said, I mean, the people in this room were much more likely to, to get in the truck and drive two or three States across the country to go hunt birds. Whereas not everybody's going to do that. And that comes Mm -hmm. down to hunter opportunity and how high is that barrier to entry for somebody that is on the fringe. They're more casual to get into it. And, you know, I'm happy to say as a pheasants forever member, I see this organization as working to improve that opportunity and I appreciate that. And I think, again, that's a conversation for another day. Probably we could go much further in that, but I do want to transition to the reason that I'm here at the headquarters of the habitat organization today. Oh, and, you were here for all that too. Nick. Well, you know, <laughs> I mean, aside from the 10 cent tour that my buddy Jared gave me, I got to <laughs> meet 25 some, you, cent. You know, you guys, you guys <laughs> did. Dollars. I know we're going to get to you back to bird dogs in a sec, but I feel like you guys, there was a reunion of sorts, and you didn't really talk about. Well, that. it happens every time. Every time you get two Duluth these guys in the same room, yeah. you know. I mean, there's just like the stars, stars and moon align. I mean, it's it's big stuff. You start talking hunting and hockey. Yep, up obviously. North. And just how awesome it is to grow up in a city like Duluth, who I think was named the number one outdoor city. Outdoor city, 2014. Yeah. So. I mean, there's some big roots there, Anthony. Oh, yeah. I, so, uh, I, call Duluth, I appreciate you bringing that up. I call Duluth the number one city outside America's pheasant range, but that's just me. Oh, <laughs> there's a local uh, radio host in Duluth that he's always famous for saying Duluth is 160 miles north of the United States. So 
that's uh there is that but you know we're a hockey town shots fired we're not we're an outdoors town i love it and uh i don't know if you checked the lineup for the frozen four but the duluth bulldogs they're there (laughs) three years in a row defending champs we're back and it's not news to anybody that you know nick nick and i um I don't think it probably wasn't in the days where you could put a shotgun in the back of your car. No, we were, we missed that. We missed that by about maybe 15 years, but it was one of those (laughs) things where right after, right after school, we would meet up or on the weekend and we'd go grouse hunting. We both cut our teeth on rough grouse in the North woods. Timber doodle became a little bit more of a passion once I got a dog and Correct. could could, could yeah. find those crafty devils. But um, we shot a lot of rough grouse growing up and without a dog. Without a dog. And yep. uh, I yep. think we can both say that, you know, and that's the reason we're here today to talk about talk about this uh, bird dogs for habitat campaign and, and what dogs fuel our passion for yeah. wildlife habitat and, and getting outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. I mentioned to Rachel just before we started recording that. You know, I, as Jared mentioned, I was a dogless grouse hunter because that was my opportunity. And I did that for a long time and I love the rough grouse. I, w- I did it out of a passion for the rough grouse and I, I really loved hunting. I, w- I was not going to quit, but I always knew I was going to get a bird dog in the five years since I've acquired my first bird dog. I am a completely different bird hunter and just, you know, person in general with the opportunities that I've had based on that bird dog, the people I've met, it's just unbelievable. And it's cliche, but when you get a bird dog, it just changes the game. It changes so much for you. For me, it's all been positive and I would never go back, but that is one of the reasons I'm really excited to be here today. Project Upland is the official media partner on the bird dogs for habitat campaign. It's mm-hmm. running the entire month of April. Uh, let's just start right there. I don't know if Jared, if you want to take it, but give us the overview. What is the cap? What is the campaign? What is bird dogs for habitat? Uh, you know, Bird Dogs for Habitat is an annual campaign that we run every year. It, you know, back in the day, it started it started before the end of the year, before tax time, and it's kind of moved now um, to the spring. Anthony, what year did we start? What year are we in? Oh, I think we're <laughs> – I'm not the data analyst. I heard we're nine. Seven. I heard nine. We're, seven. We're in our sev- seventh iteration. Yeah, it did. It used to be a December campaign. We've, we've kind of moved it to that, you know, that spring, capturing that – just coming off March Madness, everybody's crazy. Yep. That's that's the time period we moved. But I back to you, Jared. So everything that we've been talking about here and what we what we just got of how getting a bird dog changed the game for you. That yep. that unbreakable bond between an upland hunter uh and his or her his or her bird dogs or dogs. Yep. Uh bird dog or dogs is the motivation behind the campaign. And really what it does is it, it challenges wing shooters to cast a vote uh, and make a tax deductible donation on half of their on behalf of their favorite breed. So, uh, it, is it a popularity contest? In some ways, you can say it is. Yeah. Um, you know, people are coming on there, and obviously, they want they're passionate about their different breeds, and we've already covered that at the beginning of this podcast. But it really is a fun way uh, to support pheasants forever and quail forever. And we'll talk a little bit later about kind of where those funds go and how those mm-hmm. funds are used. But it helps our organization. Uh, it helps create our mission. Uh, and it helps the tagline that we use is, and the places where bird dogs love to hunt. Um, and that's the big thing behind it. We've got all sorts of different levels included in the bird dogs for habitat campaign. 
um, where, you know, if you get up to the $35 level, which is a Pheasants Forever membership, that counts as 35 votes. You get a bird dog sticker and, and a, a training bumper. There's other things that come with it, but it really has been uh, a fun campaign over the years. Um, you know, normally towards, towards the end of it, towards the end of the month of April, um, you get people who have donated every year, um, in a little bit bigger amounts. They like to come on there and really try to <laughs> try to shake make things yeah, up. Yeah, shake, shake things up or yeah. mix the pot right at the end of the month. Um, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're what's today, the fifth, Yep. the fifth of April. Um, we, we, we've got a really good start this year. I think we're almost up to 5,000 votes already, which is $5,000. And when you take our partners, and we're extremely happy to have Project Upland as the official media partner uh, of the 2019 campaign. Um, but we've got our other sponsors, Prina Pro Plan, Irish Setter, and Roughland Performance Kennels, uh, and NAVDA as well, um, that uh, anytime you make a donation, it's matched three to one. So, uh, it's a pretty, pretty cool deal. And we're hoping by the end here, um, you know, five days in $5,000 almost raised already. Um, you know, perhaps we could be, we could be breaking, uh, some type of record this year as, as to campaign support. That that's, that's the hope. I think we're on that track and, uh, you know, we, we go, we go on the way back machine, the hot tub time machine here. Like (laughs) (laughs) we get better at this every year, which is, that's, that's kind of the fun thing. I think back, like, so it started, we had a, a board member, um, Pheasants Forever board member named John Lee, and he had a, a a significant, um, you know, sizable donation that he wanted to put up as and and like and 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 put it out there and see if we could get the, a community of PF members, QF members, and and other others that follow um, you know our social media like to match that donation. Yep. And it was like, well, how do we do that? And so, um, uh, our boss uh, Bob St. Pierre, find him on Instagram, Pheasant Bob. You've had. You've talked. He's to been him. on the podcast. He's been on before. Yep. People know him. Yep. He's he's out on a pheasant hunting trip with a now board member, Matt Kaharski, and they came up with well, bird dogs for habitat. I mean, just let's, let's just let's just call it what it is. We love bird dogs. We love habitat. Put it together, and it you know. So it is it is a sort of popularity contest. I remember the first year though, like we only had like twenty five breeds. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I've never <laughs> getting hate messages. I've never <laughs> dealt with so many emails. Mail. <laughs> like, and three, three of the breed- meaning you limited that people could only yes. vote for yeah, twenty. Yeah. I gotcha. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a recipe right? for disaster. Yeah. What the hell are you guys <laughs> yeah. doing so, over there? And, and like three of the breeds were like. There weren't even breeds. It was like yellow lab, black lab, chocolate lab. So we we're all of a sudden we're down to like right twenty twenty two breeds. Sure. Yeah. And oh man, I mean that's all I did all month, other than like just making sure the campaign was running was like. You know, I'm sorry the Clumber Spaniel wasn't involved. We'll be sure to add it next year. It's in there now, don't you worry. know, and then and then we finally, you know, over a couple of years built it up. But yeah, I mean, like that's what you that's what you don't do is like when you leave somebody's breed out, right? Oh yeah. Oh man. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, Jared's right. It was it was hate mail. I mean, I was going home in the cloak of darkness, you know, like just scary times. But now we got, we have 49, 49, 49. I think we put like a mixed or other options. So sure. we're probably still missing a few. Probably. I'm going to yeah. get back to my desk. Um, I'll probably have a nasty gram from one more person, <laughs> you know, like there's always next, right. Year. You know, so, or, you know, somebody telling me that the Irish setter and red setter are the same thing. I don't know. Hey, I, yeah. <laughs> 
the, the thing is, I've never met one dog person, bird dog person, that wasn't an expert to some degree. So. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's, that's all right. Yeah. I can be that way too. All so. of us included. I yeah. think everybody, <laughs> I've always respected people's passion and the yeah. fact that, um, you know, that we've responded and can have a little fun with that. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. So sure. the, the campaign itself, um, it's, it's very easy. It's just one vote equals one dollar, you know, 10 votes, 10 bucks so on and so forth. Um, there's a lot of different, there's a lot of different levels on there. Like I said, you can purchase a pheasants forever membership, which includes the habitat decal bird dogs or habitat decal and a bird dog bumper. Uh, you can pop up to the rooster booster level, which is $75, uh, or more. Um, and you get your rooster booster membership with a hat bird dog bumper decal, those types of things. Um, but we also have a lot of people that come on and, and purchase their dog life membership. Um, it's $500. You get a sport dog, um, sport hunter e-collar with it, uh, 1225 e-collar, um, and all those other benefits with it as well. Uh, your dog gets put into the magazine. Um, and it's just, uh, it's a really, it's a really neat way, um, for people's bird dogs that fuel our passion and the mission of pheasants forever and all of our members, um, to contribute to the campaign. And the cool thing about pheasants forever and quail forever is that, Right now, we're sitting at about 70% of our members own one dog or more. Got it. Um, so really, I mean, everything that we do throughout the year um, really responds back to dogs. Like, you know, people want to go out and they want to pheasant hunt and they want to be out in the field. Why is that? For the large majority of us, it's for following our bird dog around. Mm-hmm. And the pheasants, the pheasants are a bonus, but we know that when we're doing good things for those birds, the byproduct of that is, is clean water, uh, and better soil health and just more wildlife habitat in general and more public places for bird dogs to roam. So, um, I think it's just pretty cool. And that, that 70% of our members who own a dog, that seems like it's, it's, it's increasing about 1% per year. Um, which I think is pretty cool. So there's more yeah. more people own, owning bird dogs out there. Is that a is that a trend? Me- meaning maybe we're going to see more people in the in the field in the future here. I don't know. Uh, it could be a correlation, but I just know lately with R three and uh, recruitment, retention, reactivation, mm-hmm. and, and getting people back out in the field. Um, you know, we got a lot of thirty somethings sitting around this table, all thirty somethings and twenty nine. Twenty oh. sorry. Sorry. <laughs> How dare you, Jared? Sorry. Ugh. Bit my tongue there. Um, well, Rachel's gonna be twenty nine for a long time. <laughs> it's you true. Know. But you know, we've <laughs> Anthony and I this spring especially, we've gotten a lot of emails, uh different uh different wild game chefs and stuff that we've worked with over the years, um, that were, you know, big into Venice and those types of things and started to get into more upland birds now. Um John Hennessy or Jack Hennessy, Ryan, he's got three different names that he goes by, <laughs> but, uh, he lives in Kansas now and he just got a, was it a hung, Hungarian Vishla? Hungarian. It's an import. It's, That's all. Yeah. It's, an it's import. a cool Hashtag looking dog, but import. I mean, it's just, just an example of another, uh, a lot of young people out there. I think that are, are, are learning like, Hey, this is much more enjoyable when I have a dog. And we just talked about that, you know, yep. after yep. grouse hunting without and, and, walking logging roads and that type of thing. I mean, adding a bird dog to the mix, I think really makes a difference. And I've seen a lot more of that people asking, um, you know, questions this, this spring going into early summer, like, Hey, what are some kennels you guys, uh, might recommend for, you know, certain breeds and whatnot. And, uh, it's just fun to see that. I, I think, I think the passion for the uplands continues to grow. And I like to think that, you know, project upland and pheasants forever and some of the other groups out there are are a part of that, which is cool. Yeah. It's, 
you know, the, the whole idea behind bird dogs is really interesting, especially when you look at it in the sense of pheasants forever, or even project upland, like, right. We're project upland. We're not upland bird dogs. You know, we're project upland, we're upland hunting, but we pay so much attention to this. Like when you involve a bird dog, like take an Instagram post for, for example, we can post a picture of a, of a rough grouse or a pheasant and we'll get, you know, good traction on it. You throw a bird dog in that photo, 5,000 likes, you know, overnight. Yep. It's just the passion that the bird dogs and their owners bring. It's just, again, it's that deeper connection that we all talked about. And I, I would imagine that you guys are obviously paying attention to this with, with something like this campaign because pheasants forever is much, much bigger. Pheasants and quail forever is bigger than bird dogs. It's habitat for birds, for wildlife, it's public lands. It's much bigger, but the bird dogs are such an important piece of that puzzle. And that's why they're the focus of this campaign. Yep. That's ultimately what fuels our passion around this room and that of our members, which is pretty cool. Well, I'll just speak on like how many doors have opened since I've gotten a dog. So coming into this organization, I was more of a duck hunter. I still kind of am, but get shamed for that. But I mean, (laughs) I not by us. (laughs) No, no, there's bad, there's bad people out there, you know, but I mean, you can duck hunt without a dog realistically, if you're smart about your shots and et cetera, et cetera. But, um, I ended up going for a versatile dog because I wanted to explore Upland more because, I mean, I maybe went a couple weekends a year when my friends invited me, that kind of stuff. But it's really hard to Upland hunt without a dog on your own. I mean, with a couple exceptions. And I can just say, like, now it's probably 50-50 duck hunting, pheasant hunting. And it's just, you know, that opportunity that I can go out now and take my dog out. And it's so much more enjoyable. Like, you know, it's it's fun pheasant hunting over someone else's dog too, but it's yeah. just a totally different experience when you're running your dog and your dog's working for you. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but Navda, who's one of our other partners uh, in the campaign this year, they were they were pretty big in getting you yeah. involved in in the different breed. You went. Can you can you maybe I'll I'll speak on that a bit. bit. Um, so I've got a, a versatile dog, a Drothar, Um, so that kind of means they can retrieve, they can point, etc. Um, a, a buddy of mine was involved with Navda in Northern Minnesota, and he said, you know, Navda, join them. They're a great club to get to know stuff. And I mean, I really came in as a greenhorn. Luke is my first dog. I didn't really know what I was doing, and they were they were so great. Like I said, I came, I showed up. I was like, here's my my leash and my dog. Like, what do I do? And um, so my my chapter did weekly training sessions, and they were super helpful. They'd say, you know, let's try your bird or your dog on this bird, and we're gonna do this this week. And depending on how he, you know, does, we'll do this this week. And we kind of just grew off of that. And everybody was so passionate about it. And I I just got to say how welcoming everybody was, how nice everybody was, you know despite my general ignorance on the topic in general, but they really helped my dog get um, exposure on birds and, you know, really teach me what, what the heck was going on. So I really have to encourage anybody if they're new to dog training or, you know, coming back or they're, it's, they're looking into versatile dogs, that kind of thing, really look into your local NAVDA club. Cause it's, you will not regret it. You're just going to learn so much from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think NAVDA is a good one, even if somebody is they're, you know, they're not, they're thinking about upland hunting. They're not even looking at bird dogs yet, but if somebody's interested in upland hunting, if you can get them to a NAVDA chapter, a NAVDA meeting, I mean, oh, yeah. talk about a great first exposure, but mm-hmm. well, you're say something. You, there's probably some people listening out there, um, that are looking at getting their first dog, right? Yep. I mean, we've been there. Uh, we met a guy at Pheasant Fest too, actually, who had a, he had a project. I know, I know he's out there somewhere. He's, he'll drop me an email. He had a project up one shirt and I was like, what, what kind of, what kind of 
dog do you have? And he's like, oh, I'm, I, I don't have one yet. I'm yep. just, you know, so I know those people are out there. They're interested and they're, yep. they're, um, they're kind of surfing what to get. I think like I have spaniels and spaniels are generally regarded as a, you know, people you've heard this, right? Like, well, they're a good first dog. You just have to teach them three things, blah, blah, blah. It's like Rachel, Rachel's like proof. Like, you know, what's a good first dog is to get the one you want. Yeah. Great point. <laughs> like great that, point. Some of that stuff just drives me crazy a little bit. Like I got a spaniel cause I, I wanted it, you yeah. know, not, not because I thought it would be a good, good first dog and just easier. Like if you want a pointing dog, get a pointing dog and then join your NAVDA group. Yep. And and you will be just as successful as somebody getting a spaniel or a lab. Like you don't have to go through some, it's not like baseball where you have to go to class A, double A, triple A, and then get the dog you want. Like if you want a Drothar, <laughs> get a Drothar. Yep. It's baseball you, season, baby. Yeah. You just, just do it. I mean, that, that's the thing is like, but there's really re- get a Drothar. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's one thing I would, you know, um, you don't have to settle for like, you don't have to settle. No. You can, you, I mean, right. You haven't. No. Right. Got a pointing dog. Got a pointing dog. Get a pointing dog. Right. I mean, I don't think they're inherently easier, more difficult to train. I just think you just have to find the resources that work for you. And that's your only limiting factor. So rant over. Rant accepted. <laughs> I, I interviewed a guy a couple of weeks ago, Kyle Warren. He breeds Llewellyn setters. And I I think I've mentioned this again already because I just I love the way that he put it. He breeds Llewellyn setters. I mean, he sells his pups. But what he said on the podcast to the listeners was, find a dog that hunts what you want to hunt the way you want to hunt it. And that's what you get. You know, it doesn't matter who the breeder is, you know, what kind of dog, whatever it is, just find a dog that hunts, hunts the bird that you want to hunt the way that you want to hunt it, whether that's pointing, flushing, whatever it is. Like you said, you don't have to settle. You can go get whatever you want. Make the phone calls, talk to the right people, get in touch with your NAVDA group. We can't say that enough. Yes, I mean, they're yes. going to be your best first resource, 100%, and that's and, a good way to go about and it. And I wasn't... Um I have a less versatile dog. <laughs> no, I mean, um, spaniels can be plenty versatile, but, uh, I, I didn't go, I obviously like I have spaniels, so I'm not going to a nav, nav right, chapter, right. but I've been, I've gone for, since I, for seven years to a spaniel training group. Yep. You know, some, some summers I go more frequently than others, but those first few years, you know, I was, it was twice a week. And, um, you know, that I did the exact same thing Rachel did, what, which was, you know, rely on other people for help. Yeah. If you, it's that's, you know, it's, you don't have to go through the struggle alone and you learn, you learn so much, uh, you, you go through that process too. I mean, I remember that first night, like you're just apprehensive. I don't know these people. Mm-hmm. My dog is, you know, she ran around like a banshee. And I was just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> you know, she was, she was pretty much untrained. I, you know, I went there yeah. like the first time at seven months and she was just chasing pigeons around, you know, 40 acres away, just chasing them. And I'm like, oh my, and, and, and I couldn't call her back. And, you know, now I look where we're at and it's like, we've come a long way and I have those people to thank. Yeah. yeah. And it, and you know what? It's fun. And so I would, I'd highly recommend you in, in. The earlier you do it, you don't have to wait till they're 
some people are showing you know when did you start oh when luke was like eight or nine weeks yeah, yeah. so you start when they when they're they're puppies yeah. and do that i waited way too long and that was some of you know that carried into that first hunting season where we we probably had a few more struggles than we should have because i i did you know i, I was mr machismo like i'm gonna train this dog on my own and i'm <laughs> i'm buying you know buying and trapping pigeons and yep. it's like just don't struggle through that Get in a group setting. Don't put it all on your shoulders. The world's stressful enough. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I never yeah. went up to those training sessions, but I did benefit from it because I remember when you were going to those hardcore, especially back in like, I think 2014, 2015, when you, when you got the younger dog. The those fillets o chucker that you would bring into the, <laughs> into the office every week, and I just, just – Catch and release those right into the grease, sort of like a. Well, fish. you do, you, do you you know I, uh, I I I do take, I get a lot of extra quail chucker, yeah, the occasional pheasant, yeah, yeah. excellent, yeah. little excellent. bonus there, yeah. Can we uh, can we talk about past winners of the bird dogs for habitat popularity contest? Yeah, we can. Has it been? Uh, I would imagine. I'm going to guess. I'm going to speculate. Number one dog of a pheasants forever member. Lab, yep. <laughs> has that you are and, and America? And that's why, that's why and America, yeah, yeah. America's dog. Has Apple that pie been, and uh, labs. Has that been reflected in the results of the bird dogs for habitat campaign? Uh, Labrador retriever, I think, has won only one time. Okay, in seven years, um, we've had Vishla. Ah, uh, last wow. year was the German wire-haired pointer. Uh, we've had the German short-haired pointer. Um, that's all of Bob's groupies voting. Yeah, that's all Bob's Bob St. Pierre's groupies <laughs> yeah, voting. His homeboys. Um, other than that, did we have the the Deutsch? Uh, the other one I can recall is the Irish Setter. Irish Setter. Wow. Yeah, yep. that's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, There's a little bit of diversity there in the winners. I think we had the. I want to say I think Vishla's won twice. Um, that's not. Yeah, they did to get us up to that. It is it six, is concerning not to hear you know not to have any spaniels on that list. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there's 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 not just cockers, right? There's springers, yep. boykins, clumbers. What else do we got on there? Am I missing? But you know, it's just we got a band together. These if you're if you're a spaniel owner out there, like let let's let's do this. Let's make this the year. Do you I, want, do you I know wanna... you've been trying because I saw I saw that hunk of credit cards on your desk. The other day. You're, <laughs> you're trying to figure out which one to pull from and, and throw into the pot. Trying so to fight, f- find out which one wasn't totally maxed out. <laughs> <laughs> Casting votes and uh, earning miles. Pretty much. Love it. Pretty much. Snow goose hunt win, setting win. you back. <laughs> uh, man. Yeah. So, so, you talked about a little bit earlier when we when we hit this on the high level, Jared, the money that's raised. Um, do these funds, the funds get raised via the via the campaign. They're getting matched three to one from the partners, which is awesome. Let's talk a little bit about where the funds might end up. Yeah. Or yeah, go. no problem. So, um, you know, I think Bird Dogs for Habitat is maybe a little bit different than we've got uh, other initiatives and programs out there. One's called Build a Wildlife Area. And the Build a Wildlife Area is usually where we'll pick a specific project, maybe around a specific figurehead. The last one we did here uh, in Minnesota, we've got uh, the Joe Dugan Wildlife Management Area, which I think is still ongoing right now. Mm -hmm. Joe um, was a figurehead here at Pheasants Forever for almost 30 years. Or over thirty years, and still right running. around right around thirty, and he's he's still back here all the time. Huge huge advocate. And he left a legacy. Yeah, yep. leaves a legacy. Gary Clancy uh, was another one uh, in Minnesota that we did. But um, you know the funds from Bird Dogs for Habitat. I 
like to go into a general fund. Um, it's where we don't have a specific project that it's earmarked for, uh, but it goes it goes to benefit uh, the projects of most need in the places. And whether whether that's whether that's Minnesota or Iowa or the Dakotas or any of those other places out there, uh, we take a look across the board. And let's say we need let's say we need matching matching dollars to purchase a piece of property uh, in the state of Iowa. Uh, bird dogs for habitat is the perfect conduit for that. Um, because when you look at matching funds, uh, you know, whether it's state or federal grants, a lot of them are around that 10% mark. Um, so when we raise, you know, 40 to $50,000 per year, whatever it is, I think 40 to 50 is about where we've been the last couple years. Hopefully this year we can do better. Um, but you know, having 10%, let's say we want to buy a hundred acre, uh, CRP easement or a wetland wetland easement that's got a lot of really nice grass around it for producing birds. You know, a lot of times that'll, you're just paying the fee titles on those properties. It'll come down to around, give or take a few, a thousand dollars per acre. Um, you know, so if we're raising, we're raising 50,000 for this campaign, we can take 10,000 of that, put it towards a matching grant to purchase that property. Um, and that's how we make our money go farther. Just like the partners we have for this, we leverage our federal state partners, other organizations to make the money go as far as possible, um, in order to, in order to get things done for our mission. I couldn't have said it any better. (laughs) I mean, we're, you know, you've trained them well. Well, (laughs) that's the whole idea here is, is, uh, and that's why I've, we appreciate Whatever anybody can contribute. Obviously, it's yeah. like we've got, you know, I, I, I jotted it down. We've got like uh, Matthew Bathke, um, he, he donated that five uh, above that 500 mark, you know, for the, the, the German long haired pointer, new dog life member. Nice. They're um, the front runner right now. Yes. Just an update. S- Stephen Neal, new dog. His, his, he's got a new dog. I don't, I'm trying to find the dog name so we can put him in the magazine, but <laughs> um, he donated that mark. New dog life member, German wirehaired pointer. Those are awesome. Yeah. But if you can only donate five bucks, do it. Because yep. we'll turn that five bucks into fifteen through mm-hmm. this campaign, and then yep. we'll turn that fifteen into fifty or maybe even a hundred by by leveraging it. That's what we do. And so um that that's what that's the fun part about this is uh y- you know, there's there's uh obviously it's nice to get big giant donations. For sure. I mean, we're, you know, we're nonprofit, but we got to, we got to raise money to do projects, but yep. we, we've never felt the, the, the joy of the campaign is that there's no limiting amount. Like if you can donate a dollar, that's great because your dollar is, your $1 is extremely valuable to yep. us yep. and that matters. And you know, that means if you're 60 years old and have a lot of disposable income, maybe you can give more. If you're, if you're 24 years old and have your first bird dog, and you know you're living in an apartment like I was 13 years ago, and you can only donate three or five bucks. We thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, I don't think you can say it enough. You know, that's the beauty of this campaign is don't be ashamed of your one, two, three, four, five dollars. You know, like you said, we're gonna you guys are gonna match that three to one. And the beauty of what an organization like Pheasants Forever Quail Forever can do with grant writers and smart biologists on the ground is figure out how to make that money go even farther in Minnesota. We often talk about, you know, CPL and, and a lot of that stuff where we can, you can stretch those conservation dollars as far and as wide as possible. And that really is the beauty of something and like this. To that point too, we're working really hard, um, to try to get other, other places to kind of match, um, 
you know, what, what Minnesota has done. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it's the clean water and land and legacy amendment, um, and some of the different things, the outdoor heritage funds that have mm-hmm. come out of that. Um, if you're a Minnesotan listening to the podcast, I think a lot of them realize how lucky we are to have, I think it's a hundred, what is it? $150 million a year that goes towards conservation, goes towards buying, uh, public, public properties, enhancing ground. Uh, we're trying to do something similar to that in Iowa right now. Um, the language is there. It just needs, needs to get funded. Uh, and we're working on that. But, uh, Missouri is another one, uh, who has had a designated fund for a long time through taxpayers. Um, you know, Minnesota is unique in that in 2008, we voted to tax ourselves, mm-hmm for the outdoors and conservation. That's, that's how much we care about it. Um, and there's a lot of other states I think that are trying to go that way. And, and, you know, through legislative action and things that we work on, uh, we're working really hard to, to try and create those avenues where we can use matching dollars like this and make it go a lot farther. So, um, but for this specific one, you know, it, it goes into that general, general fund for habitat where we put it in the places of most need, uh, you know, whether we're purchasing someplace in, in Kansas or Colorado, wherever it might be, uh, throughout pheasant and quail country, um, these dollars are going to the areas of best need and, and they're being matched three to one through the campaign. And probably more than that, when we start, uh, combining it with with federal state and local partners yeah exactly yeah so anybody everyone everywhere that is involved in pf or is interested in the mission and working in conservation and creating habitat across the range of this country really don't be afraid to contribute to bird dogs for habitat because all the breeds are there now all the breeds are there (laughs) anthony made sure of it and if not Please contact Anthony Houck. Please send him forever.org. I know. Yeah. I'm just waiting for that. Just to hear those little pings as I'm sleeping. Just that inbox. We're going to put your email in the show notes. I'm going to put a big bullseye next to it. That's all right. (laughs) Just turn it on silent. I try to respond to everyone. So we'll see if I'm up to the task. All right. So I think we've kind of. People can make assumptions and probably figure out where to find bird dogs for habitat. But let's be real clear about it. And let's tell them where the best place is to go to participate in the Bird Dogs for Habitat campaign. Birddogsforhabitat.org. And it. if you're QF-oriented, and QF, of course, Quail Forever is our, mm-hmm. our Qu- Pheasants Forever's Quail Conservation Division, we do have uh, Bird Dogs for Habitat, QF.org. Nice. Either one, it ends up in the same pot. Same place. We appreciate it, yes. Excellent. We covered a bunch. Any last thoughts, Jared? Um, now, I think we've got about 10 days left in most of these states to get your get your bird dogs out, uh, you know, on, on public land before yeah. before they shut it down for the nesting season, which a lot of people still don't realize that, but you right. yep. it's illegal to have your bird dogs out there during the prime nesting season, give those birds time. But you've got 10 days to get out there. Uh, I would encourage you to contact us at Pheasants Forever. Um, and maybe just take a, take a drive in your local area and go, go look for a place, uh, that maybe some of these funds have impacted in the past, mm-hmm. uh, a public area that's out there, uh, run your dog, um, and, uh, be happy that if you, when you contribute to this campaign, uh, you are contributing and supporting, uh, our nonprofits, wildlife habitat conservation mission and, uh, the places where bird dogs love to hunt. Great. I guess I would just say the. Don't be intimidated about getting a dog like I was. I waited too long before I ended up pulling the trigger. So go ahead, start contacting breeders, get in touch with your local NAVDA chapter, 
make the jump, it's going to be a life-changing experience and well worth it. Never too late. You just got to be careful because those dog breeders, like, you'll, you're going to be on the phone for at least an hour. Oh, yeah. That's what I loved about They're so passionate <laughs> about what they do. Like, I remember talking to folks that are like, oh, our, our litter's spoken for already, but they'd still talk to you forever and give you great info and... No, shut up, Mike and Wendy. I love my breeders. They're great people. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's true. You better just block out your evenings for like a month. Um, you know, I think we live in, it's pretty fascinating times, right? But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think uh, you know, we've come a long way with, with dogs, you know, like what the, I checked this stat just to make sure, but like the universe is like 14 billion years old, right? Some say, some scientists say, yeah. and you know, it's been, dogs have been domesticated for what, uh, like maybe some even say tens of thousands of years, yeah. but 50 years ago at my grandma's house, uh, it, you know, they couldn't even be inside or on the furniture. And now my dogs yeah. sleep in my friggin' bed at night and they come to work with us yeah. and it's come a long way in the last like few decades. Yeah. And, uh, and I think there, there are more better breeders than ever that are dedicated to their breeds. Yep. There's more better dogs, <laughs> right? If that makes, that's probably not grammatically correct. It but works. There's, there's, there's more, uh, high quality, just athletes with all the skills out there because of that better breeding, because pe- yep. people are paying attention. There's, there's more better trainers. And, uh, I think, and, and there's more, uh, information, mm-hmm. right? There's mm-hmm. more information to train your dog. There are more groups dedicated to helping you train your dog. There's more information than ever at your fingertips to find places to hunt. We're working on some here, but right, we, we we've we've talked about mapping and and mm-hmm. and, the, and and the consolidation of it is all a little, you know, it's that's all getting sorted out. The curation of it, but you know, it's I I just think like. There's no better time than the present to own a bird dog. This is as good as it's ever been and to be a habitat supporter. So yeah, enjoy it. Enjoy this campaign. Be proud of your breed. We've come a long way in 14 billion years. <laughs> <laughs> a long way. A long way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Right? Yes, you sir. Know, we might, you know, just I'll blow your mind here, Nick, but we might be the only planet that has bird dogs. That's absolutely. We might only be that planet. And we, or are, there could be a deep, yeah, or there could be a parallel. See, there could be a parallel there, universe. Parallel universe yeah. where where Hartley, your English setter, he's a flusher. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes he is. That's okay. That's but Jackson okay. is too. I don't hold that against. They him. all yeah. do it. No, they so, all do it. Yeah, it, it's just fun to talk about, and I, you know, it's it's fun that there are fifty plus different breeds that yeah. and that we, you know, they're great unifiers. It's fun to love all breeds, so. Have a little fun with your bird dog. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, Anthony, I mean, how incredible to have a, not only a tool, I mean, we can talk about them as a tool, the work that the dogs do in the field for us, the passion that they have, I mean, the entertainment, the enjoyment, and they do all that for you. And then they are still that cute, fuzzy little fur ball that snuggles up in bed with you. I mean, it's pretty awesome. And uh, to your point, we have come a long way. I love it. And I do have a kennel, but... <laughs> It doesn't get used. Let's be honest. <laughs> Only on trips. Only on trips. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like sounds like Hartley's uh, life at home. So I hear you. Well, thank you, 
Jared, Rachel, Anthony, I, I had a blast talking with all of you today. It you was bet. it was my pleasure to be here at Pheasants Forever headquarters. This is a great campaign. It's a great cause. We're happy to support it at Project Upland. And we will have all of the relevant pertinent links for the listeners to check out the campaign and contribute through the rest of the month of April. Prizes, giveaways, all kinds of fun stuff included with this campaign. It's been awesome. Thank you so much. Until next time, see you later, everybody. You've been listening to the Project Upper Podcast. As your host, Nick Larson, I'd like to thank you tuning in each and every week and i'd like to thank our partners on the project upland podcast bringing you each and every episode of the show pine ridge grouse camp dog trick callers Gordian sons outfitters yukonuba premium dog food and dakota 283 kennels remember you could be next week's winner of the podcast giveaway all you have to do is make a meaningful contribution to the show leave us a rating leave us a review subscribe to the podcast share the podcast post or send us some email i'd love to hear from my listeners send me an email nick.larson and northwoodscollective.com don't forget to head over to projectupland.com to see everything else we've been up to films blogs articles gear reviews and much much more head over to projectupland.com that's it for this week's episode of the project upland podcast thanks for tuning in everybody we'll see you on the next show Onyx Hunt is the number one hunting GPS app. Join millions of other hunters who trust Onyx Hunt to find more game, discover new access, and hunt smarter. Onyx Hunt shows you nationwide public and private land boundaries. They've got topographic and 3D maps. You can track your route, location, and elevation profile. You can save maps for offline use and take Onyx Hunt with you wherever you go. The most comprehensive hunting tool you'll own Download the Onyx Hunt app today and use the promo code BSP20 to save 20% on your next Onyx Hunt subscription. Know where you stand with Onyx. Hey everyone, this is Nick from the Gundog It Yourself podcast. If you enjoyed this show, then you might want to check out my show as well. We highlight and break down the ins and outs of training your own hunting dog. Whether it's a bird dog or even the occasional hound dog episode, we cover all topics related to hunting dogs. Check out Gundog It Yourself on any podcast streaming platform and hit the subscribe button to be sure not to miss any future episodes.